good. It's like an eye chart. Is anybody in here an optometrist? <laughs> I just thought about it. Huh? We're still following along here? You want to oh, you want to just repeat them? Just so I know you're paying attention. I, me, my, good. myself. That's right. At the base of this little monument, and the monument was kind of, in, in the editorial cartoon, it was kind of like chiseled in granite, each one of these things. I, me, mine, myself. And at the bottom, or the base of the monument, were four familiar slogans that we're all familiar with. And it just said, have it your way. You owe it to yourself. I can afford it. I just threw that one in there. It wasn't in the original cartoon, but just kind of make it a little more personal. And do yourself a favor. Now, what's missing in this overhead that was uh, in the cartoon were at the bottom of this, like right in this area here, were hundreds, perhaps thousands of people. Can you see in the back okay? Were hundreds, perhaps thousands of people who had their arms up in the air like this as if worshiping at the base of this shrine. The caption was fascinating. It said, speaking on American cults. Now, it was interesting as we apply it to what we're going to be speaking on because one of the problems that we have is as you look at this, it's a visual reminder of the me era in which we live. And it's not that inappropriate considering that American cults, the focus on cults is always on human beings of some sort one or the other, whether it's yourself that you can perform your way to somehow please a god of some sort, or whether it's the leader of that particular cult, but it's always a human being that is the focus of the attention. And so it doesn't surprise me at all that they use this type of cartoon to capture the essence of the American cult. And on the other hand, as you look at this, we're not too far different from that, from the standpoint that we endorse this type of philosophy by the fact that we buy millions and millions of books and create them and make them be bestsellers because of the number of books that we buy, all in the name of somehow elevating ourselves. And we wrestle with trying to come up with a way to look out for number one, which meaningly, quote unquote, is us. And so everything revolves in our world around ourselves. And it's gotten so bad, the selfishness that we have in our society in which we live. I heard a true story and I thought it was fascinating as it illustrates the problem of selfishness. Apparently, there were two men who were really good friends, and they were friends for a number of years, all the way back to their high school days, and they were in their 40s at this particular point, and once a year, they'd go on hiking trips. And uh, at this particular time, they'd find themselves in Yellowstone National Forest, and as they were hiking, they ran across a grizzly bear who jumped out in front of their path. Well, the one guy, thinking quickly, immediately sat down, grabbed his backpack, started rifling through and it, started throwing stuff all over the place, and he began taking off his boots and putting on a pair of running shoes that they brought because each of them liked to run. And his friend looked at him and thought for a second and said, what are you doing? You'll never be able to outrun that bear. And as he put his shoes on and laced it up for the last time, he looked up at his friend and said, the bear? Who's worried about the bear? All I've got to do is outrun you. That's good. Oh, we got a chance today, ladies and gentlemen. It was, it was slow. It was slow. I don't know if you're figuring out what's my name here and what block do I fill out. What, well, I don't know what the, the excuse was, but it kind of built. It built up. Good. Anyway, as we look at this, that's the problem that we have. So when Solomon, as we went through our series in Ecclesiastes, the thing that Solomon continually pointed to us was that if man is the center or the focus of our attention, then frustration will result. And the book of Ecclesiastes is a book that focused on the pursuits of one man trying to find satisfaction and the impending frustration that developed as a result of that journey. 
and he came to some conclusions. We've talked about them, and we'll continue to reinforce them throughout this series. But his number one conclusion was very simple, and it was this, that we are here for nothing more than to bring pleasure to God. We are here to put our focus not on man, but on God. And he said, as he began to do that and shift his focus away from how can I please myself, what else can I do, what else can I buy, what else can I achieve, he began to realize that, you know what, there was nothing more that he could buy, there was nothing more that he could achieve, there was nothing more that he could do, there was nothing more that he could say. The bottom line, when all was said and done, he said, you know what, there's nothing that will bring satisfaction to our life more than coming to the understanding that we are here to please God. We are here, our primary focus in life is to please God. This series will focus on pleasing God and the resulting elation, not frustration, but the elation, the joy, the satisfaction, uh, the blessing that comes along with understanding what our whole purpose is. Now one of the struggles that we're going to have throughout this series is that many of us will get mighty uncomfortable when God begins to make demands upon us. It's kind of like uh, we have an attitude of, well, after all, you know, who does God think He is? I mean, who does He think He is that He demands me to live every day to please Him? I mean, who does He think He is? In the heart of man, it's just a little rebellious little twist, and we struggle with it even in our offices. It's kind of like, who does the boss think He is that He's demanding things upon me? It's just something about sin nature, human nature, that doesn't like to be told what we're here to do. Kids. Okay, kids. We're here to do this. And immediately they're going, yeah, well, watch this. <laughs> it's like, what can't I do? And what should I be doing? Let me just show you how many things I can't do and I shouldn't be doing that I'm going to do just to show you who's in control. It starts, real, it starts with an early age. It starts with a baby. You've had babies. You know how it is. It's like you're going to say, okay, don't do that. Don't do what? Don't throw that. <laughs> yes, indeed. I threw it and I survived and I lived to talk about it. And, uh, and the longer that they live to talk about it, the more they're going to do it. So I say, smash them quick. <laughs> right there. You've got to deal with it because the test is there. The rebellion is there. Okay, where are we going with this thing? Who's in charge? This little snot-nosed little kid that can't even go to the bathroom on time or whenever it's supposed to and goes wherever he wants to go. This kid's going to run our life. I've seen more families that are messed up because their kids are running the show. I see kids that are dominating their parents. I see parents who are at each other's throats because the kids are out of control. They're running the program. And then those kids go to school because those parents don't want to deal with them. So then they go, what's wrong with the teachers of this country? They should be doing something about it. And the teachers can't do anything about it because the parents aren't doing anything about it. And the principal's going crazy because he can't do anything because he's got a stupid school board that's saying, I don't think we should be spanking kids. <laughs> and he's going, well, who cares what you think? Well, you better because we hire and fire you. Ooh, oh, yes, indeed. And then again, uh, maybe you got a point there. And so everything's out of control. But see, what God says is, you know what? It's like our attitude carries even further into our, our adult years. We say, hey, God, who do you think you are telling me what I can and cannot do? Don't tell me I'm here primarily to please you. I'm here to please myself, and I'm going to prove it. Watch this. That's how we act. Laced with this sarcasm, Wilbur Rees writes this. It's a wonderful thought. He says, see, we want to work out some kind of deal with God. Look, I'll please you Monday, Wednesdays, Fridays. I'll please you every third Thursday, and I'll please you on the even number for Friday dates. But the rest of the time, it's like on my own. It's just like work, you know. I'll, I'll please you Monday through Friday, but Saturday and Sunday, don't be calling me at home. He writes this. 
I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. <clears throat> Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb. I don't want a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would just like to buy $3 worth of God, please. That's it. Our own inner self doesn't want to dump God. We don't want to dump him because, hey, he may be real and he may be there and he may demand something. We don't want to dump him completely. So we're going to work out a deal with him. We're going to work out a deal. That's what we think. Our problem is that when we work out these deals, we find that we're not finding much pleasure in this life. So as we go through this, we're going to take a few moments today in the weeks to come to take our eyes off of ourselves, and we're going to put them back onto the plan of God. And the plan of God has to do with the fact that we are here to please God. The problem that we have is, unless we understand it, unless we're motivated by it, uh, we probably won't do it. So I want to ask you a question. And you can participate if you'd like. I know there's some risk involved in it. But then some of you are good sports, and I know that by experience. And you'll go ahead and you'll get involved. And everybody around you will breathe a sigh of deep relief, knowing that it was you who answered stupidly and not them. <laughs> because it's like if it was a good answer, you always go like this. Oh, I was going to say that. I was going to say that. I was going to say that. And if it's, if it's one that's a dumb answer, then you go, oh, I wasn't going to say that. And you're going, whew, I'm glad I didn't say it because I really was going to say it. <laughs> uh, so let me ask you a question. We'll start off. Why, please God? I don't know about you, but I've just got that inquisitive nature. When I was a student, I always ask why. I didn't assume because somebody was a teacher that they actually knew what they were talking about. Didn't assume it. Didn't get me far with them. But uh, still, it challenged them, right? Are you in that mode? Why? See, I want you to assume I don't know anything. And that shouldn't be a stretch for you. <laughs> should not be a stretch. It should be something that you can handle. Assume I don't know a thing. That's what I do. And then we start from the basics. Why please God? I'm not going to take because. We won't go with that answer. That's a given. I already assume every person in here already knows that one. Uh, because. Well, because we're in church and it sure is a, a, probably the right thing to say. Uh, but we're not real sure. Let me ask you, why please God? Why do you believe you are here to please God? Why please Him? Why should you do it? And then what we're going to do is, we're going to compare what you think versus what the Bible actually says. I like that. Because, see, we're going to talk about why please God today, and then through the rest of the series, we're going to talk about how to please Him according to what the Bible says. Now, that's even going to be more fun, because some of you believe that you know how to please God, and you're going to find out it's not even in the Bible. Because you grew up learning that that's how you please God. See, you please God by going to church. You please God by giving. You please God by all these things that you think pleases God. That's how you think you please God. You don't even know if that's right or not. You just do it. So we're going to go through it, and I'm going to challenge you today. Why please God, and then how to please God. Okay. Now, does anybody want to venture a guess at why you should please God? Yes. All right, it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We didn't make ourselves, God made us, and so it starts from the very basics. We're going to talk about that. Seriously, I'm not going to laugh at you if you say something silly. I'm learning to be sensitive. My wife is teaching me that. That's our new project this week. It is. That one, and don't stand up front and do this for more than like five seconds. That was the other thing we're working on. So we got those two things to work on this week. That's all I can handle. Yes, sir. We, yeah, we. It's, a, it's kind of a, a, a family deal. Trust me, it is. 
Yes. As a businessman, the bottom line concept, risk, reward. Ooh, as a businessman, how many people in here are into the business community that we, business people in here? Huh? Oh, gee, this is a safe one. You know, I want to get you involved one way or the other. And if you don't jump on the safe ones, you're taking a risk, you're going to get involved in the other ones. As a business person, it's risk versus reward, right? Risk versus reward. All right, there's a simple answer from a simple man. <laughs> just kidding, just kind of loosen you up a little bit. You're a little bit uptight, and I know we can handle it. Some of you can't. Yeah, I know you can't, so I'll be serious with you. He is worthy. Because he's worthy. All right? Because you love him. Because you love him. I'm sorry, what, Fern? Because he's our creator. See, we got this little uh, time warp going on here. There's a big room, and there's a long way back from the back, but we've already had that answer, Fern. I know you didn't. I know you didn't. But it was a good answer, though. You know, you run with it. If somebody else says it, though, and that's it. You're out of here. Because he made us. 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 I'm sorry, what? Oh, no. Please don't do that. I'd rather hear from you anyway. I, I, I you know... I repent. I retract. I, I, I poured dust and ashes over my head, and uh, I should have known better. It was the first time that you've said anything in a couple of years, and now you're shut down, and you just saw Tom answer him. Go ahead. All right. It's like, hey, you know what? I try to do it my way. And it doesn't work. So it's like, why not do it God's way? And give him a shot and see if what he says is true. I love the Bible because you know what God says about giving? He says in Malachi, he says, hey, you, test me in these things. Okay, you don't believe me. I get a little doubt. Then you test me in these things and you see if it's not true. You try to outgive me. You try it. Can't happen. He says, test me. It's a great, great response. Tim. It's for our own best interest. He made us for that purpose. So that <clears throat> See, this is an amazing paradox that we're going to have to deal with here, but see how this works? It goes like this. See, God says this. Now, this is a hard thing for you to understand because we're being geared the other direction. It says, if you want to please yourself, then you do that which you think will bring pleasure to you. You do it. You buy it. You do it. You say it. Whatever. Now, what the Bible teaches is exactly the opposite. It says, if you want to find pleasure in this life, then you direct everything toward me. And as you please me, you'll find pleasure. As you give to others, you'll find satisfaction. As you do it a way that doesn't make any sense at all, it doesn't make any sense, how can me, living to please God, end up indirectly pleasing myself? It doesn't make any sense, but that's exactly what the Bible teaches is true. And that's what we're going to focus on as we go throughout this. So why please God? There's a lot of great reasons. But we're going to take a look at six of them and see if these six, and I know some of them we've already mentioned, but some of you are going to say, this is the biblical proof for what we're going to talk about. Six reasons for pleasing God. Some of you are going to say, man, I knew that one and I should have said it. I knew it, but I didn't say it. And so when we get to that, if you knew it, when we get to it, you raise your hand, okay? And then you'll feel a lot better. We'll do that. No, that's fine. We can do that. Everyone, when you want to leave here feeling good. Okay, number one. You ready? Number one. Why please God? It has to do with the purpose of creation. It has to do with the purpose of creation. Are you ready for this? 
See, the first reason is seen in the purpose of creation. Everything that God made was designed to bring him pleasure. Everything God made was designed to bring him pleasure, and that includes you and I. Watch this. It says, Worthy art thou, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. The King James, that last phrase says, And for thy pleasure they are and they were created. You follow that? You knew that. Many of you do. You already said that. You said, hey, it, it got, you know, God created us. We didn't create ourselves. It was God who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. That's what this is all about. And so let me ask you something. Do you ever get real frustrated with life and, and as far as a sense of purpose in your life? Just life in general. Do you ever get frustrated with life? What am I doing here and what is the purpose? Be honest. Have you done that? Sure you have. How about specifically? Like, let me ask you this. What area of your life right now are you very frustrated in? Like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing it? Why am I in this meeting? Why am I in this business? Why am I in this marriage? Why am I in this church? Why am I in this meeting this morning? Why am I doing what I'm doing? You ever get frustrated with that? Let me ask you something. What's the root of your frustration? What is the root of your frustration? Self. What, what about it? Isn't this the way it usually works? Why am I in this business? Listen, it's not doing for me what I thought it was going to do. Why am I in this marriage? It's not doing for me what I thought it was going to do. Why am I having these children? They're not doing for me what I thought they would do for me when we thought we would have children. Amen. <laughs> right. Why am I at this church? It's not doing for me what I thought it was doing for me when I came to it. Why are we in this group? It's not doing for me what I thought it would do for me. Right? That's what it comes down to. Everything in life boils around this whole concept of what is the purpose in being where you are. Why in the business? Ah, let me just blow your mind here for a minute. You know why you're in the business? You're in that business to please God. Not to make money. Not to set yourself up for the future. Not to use people that work for you in a way that somehow or another you can make money off of them. You're in business to please God. Why in the marriage that you're in? So you can use your wife or your husband to please all of your needs and not respond at all? You're in the marriage that you're in to please God. How does that please God? Ah, well, maybe you couldn't keep your shorts on and it was the right thing to do to get married instead of having sex outside of marriage. Maybe that's what it was. That pleases God. I just think about this week. We just had a study this week with a lot of single people and it just kind of came out there. Um, but, hey, but it pleases God. Maybe that's the only answer you can come up with, but it's, but it's not a wrong answer according to Scripture. Why do you have children? Why do you have children? So you can raise them to please God. How many of you are doing that? How many even think that way? See, that's what this whole purpose is. Everything, and so when you, when, I, when you go through and say, I am frustrated in this area because I don't realize my purpose in it. That's why I'm frustrated. You walk out of here today and you realize that everything that you're doing, you should be doing to please God. And if you can't please God in that which you're doing, then stop doing it. Because that's what's leading to your frustration. 
because nine out of ten times what you're doing isn't pleasing to God, and as a result, it's not pleasing to you. So stop doing it and start doing those things that will bring pleasure to God. Why are we here? We're here that's seen in the purpose of creation. It's like uh, Christianity 101. In the beginning, God created. Let's go back to the basics. Now can you understand why people want to believe you crawled out of some swampy goop? Isn't that the truth? Why? Recycled sludge. That's what we all are. And then we wonder why we struggle with a sense of self-worth. <laughs> why? <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. Stop and think about it. If you realize, see, if God didn't make us and we're just here by some accident and we don't have a purpose and we don't have a meaning, then we have to struggle to find our own purpose and meaning to be here. Let's look for our own little niche and come up with some way to do it. And we're not finding any satisfaction in it. We're not finding any peace in it. And guess what? Because it's not true. The Bible is very specific. It starts in the very beginning. It says, in the beginning, God created. All right? Why does he want to do that? Because he wants to set the premise for why we're here. We are here to bring pleasure to God in all that we do. And God is incredible. Look at it says. The earth is the Lord's and everything that's in, it, in the world. And all who live in it. Hey, guess what? Are you alive? Are you on the earth? Oh, good. See, these aren't tough questions. Please, come on now. I'm starting to get a little bit worried here. If you're alive and you're on earth, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, guess what? Then he owns you. He owns you. He made you. Remember what uh, Solomon said. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Because as you grow older, you know what you end up becoming? You end up becoming just like you lived your life. You do. Some of the oldest, most selfish, bitter, cynical people that I know today were people who lived their whole life selfish, bitter, cynical, self-centered, and did everything to please themselves. You know, and then we hear stories about it. You know, we hear, you know, people, the, the old folks that are in the homes and their kids stick them in there and they don't want to take care of them and they don't want to support them and they don't want to love them they don't want to nourish them they don't want to be involved in ministering to them. And we're really hard on the young people that just shove them in the home, right? The other hand, I want to ask you a question. wonder what they were like as parents all throughout their life. wonder if they were self-centered and self-serving. wonder if that was maybe the result of how they lived their life. See, because what you sow, you reap. You really do. See, and God's saying, hey, you know what? You want to you reap some blessings in your later years? Then you sow it in your youth. And don't live a self-serving, self-centered, selfish life that's dominated by the monument of I, me, mine, myself. But you realize that my primary purpose is seen in, the, in creation, and that is to please God in everything that I do. And when we don't do, we have a, a major problem. Turn to Romans chapter 1 for a second. When we don't do what God created us to do, we have a mess on our hands. Romans chapter 1. See, the amazing thing is, God knows the purpose of all things. It was never His desire to see His creation honor itself. And when the people of God that he created begin to seek to please themselves, they're doing what's foreign to the original purpose of God. The original design and the original purpose, and it results in destructive behavior. And see if this isn't a commentary of the society in which we live. Romans chapter 1, pick it up at verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in righteousness, unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. 
For since, oh, here it is again. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's an amazing thing that God uses his creation, this universe that we live in, to, to shout out the glory of God. The heavens declare the handiwork of, of the Lord. God uses the world in which we live to shout out his existence that he is there, and yet men in their foolish speculation and in their futility of mind, it says they begin to deny the obvious. They try every way that they can to get around the obvious, and they come up with scientific formulas to be able to do so, all in the name of education that a few people have supposedly that the rest of the masses of people don't have. And then begin to sell you something that's not even true, and they begin to offer it to you as if it's some kind of a fact. And it just drives me crazy. It's great. I got my kids on a campaign in their school every time that they read something about how this happened 580 million years ago, that they say, oh, right. <laughs> Oh, that's not, and they come home, and, and Ryan came home the other day, he's 10 years old, and showed this book to Linda, and he said, look at this, it says, this happened 580 million years ago. Can you believe they say that? That's great. Rather than just walking in and saying, oh, if they said it, it must have. We're at Epcot Center, and they started pulling that nonsense. I almost stood up in front of all 3,000 people watching this stupid film, and went, hey, this is not right. <laughs> and I didn't have that much boldness, so I just disrupted the three rows around us. <laughs> so... <laughs> Five hundred billion years ago. And then Carl Sagan, if you got that kind of a scientific voice, you can get away with it. Five hundred billion years ago, the planets were formed out of dust particles. <laughs> yeah, right. Because, <laughs> you know what, it's a, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. You look and you go, man, I'll tell you what, it's a lot easier to believe in a God who created all this then this just happened by some kind of a chance. So it's, you know, and, and it's hard for me to believe I could take a bunch of metal, throw it up in the air in my garage, and have a nice little Lamborghini fall into place. <laughs> hey, you know what? Doesn't that sound stupid? But that's what we're being told to believe. That's exactly what you're being told to believe. Don't, don't stand for that nonsense. It says, for even though they knew God, See, God's placed in every one of us a, a knowledge of who he is, that he exists. And even though they knew him, they knew that he was there, and they knew what they were saying wasn't true, they didn't honor him as God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. It says, professing to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And if we don't live in a day and age where we're worshiping and honoring God's creation above the Creator, we never will be. When you see people honoring whales and worshiping them and killing babies and not honoring God, I mean, we're just so messed up. And it says, therefore, because of all this nonsense, you know what God did? He gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. And you know why? Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. And all God's people said, Amen. You know, as we look at this, you've got to ask yourself the question, what was the problem? Look at verse 25. 
You know what the root problem was? Every symptomatic sickness and illness our society has today is found in this root problem. And the root problem is very simple. For they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. We got a whole world that goes backwards if we don't understand this first point. Everything goes backwards from there. If you don't understand the purpose of creation, which is the fact God made you, God owns you, and God expects you to please Him in everything, then everything in your life is going to be messed up from that point on. we got to start with the fundamentals. And the fundamentals are very simply this. God made you, He created you, and the purpose of all of it is so that you can bring Him pleasure. And if you leave here today with nothing else but accepting this truth, God will change your life. And it will change how you view everything that you're involved in. From your marriage, to your business, to your children, to the church, to, the, to this fellowship group, uh, to your neighborhood, to everything that you do. If the primary purpose becomes one of them here to serve and please God, how can I do that and how can I do it now? And you know what? Let me just tell you something. You know what will happen if you don't? Keep reading. Verse 26. It says, for this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with, <clears throat> men, with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to all who practice those things. Let me just tell you something about God. If you continue to live a life that is self-centered and geared to pleasing yourself, there comes a point in time, and I don't know what it is. And I'm not going to tell you when it is because I don't have any idea. And God doesn't tell you when it is because He knows how we are. And if He said on Friday, I'm going to give you over to your depraved mind so you can continue to do the things that you're doing and you'll never find satisfaction and enjoyment in this life, if you knew He was going to wait till Friday, you'd live like hell till Thursday. But He doesn't tell you. You know what he says? At some point, you want to keep being self-centered? You want to keep pleasing yourself? You don't want to worship and honor me? At some point, that's it. I'm turning you over. And that's the result. And if that's not destructive behavior, and if that's not the society in which we live, I don't know what is. Filled with righteous, unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, envy, slander, hate, malice, slanders, insolent, evil, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. <laughs> and you know where, where it all started? It starts right here. Not even recognizing the purpose of being here. It starts right there. And it gets worse from that point on. You know what? It's amazing to me. How can you avoid this trap? How can you avoid that trap? You know what we need to do? Very simple. We need to turn to the Lord. That's all there is to it. No other answer. We need to turn to Him. And when you leave today, you need to say, Lord, you know what? I realize I'm pretty selfish and that I'm living to please myself. I never truly understood the results of it. I never understood the consequences that naturally would become of it. But I want to live my life because for the first time it was clearly taught to me that I am here for one reason, that's to please you. I'm not always going to do it, and I don't even know how to do it sometimes, and that's why I'm going to keep coming back through the series because I want to find out how to do it. I'm going to make that commitment to you. That's what exactly I'm going to do. But one thing that I want to do is I want to worship and honor you as creator because I know I didn't get here by no accident. 
that you made me. And if you made me, you got a purpose, you got a reason, and I can't wait to find out what I'm supposed to be doing to please you. And that's the bottom line of it. Because if you don't, you're in for a mess. But it's your choice. You do whatever you want to do. But man, I'll tell you what, I don't know why anybody want to do that. You have to be brain dead to want to do that. But then again, <laughs> I don't know. Let's take a look at a second, second reason. Maybe this one, see, say, how many of you knew that one? You knew that one. I mean, yeah, oh, one, two, three, that's good. All the rest of us are just primeval mud sludge. Okay, here we go. Let's take a look at the position of our creator. Let me ask you this, see, because now this... <laughs> but our God is in the heavens. And he does whatever he wants to do. Yeah, we'll bring him down a little bit. See, that's our whole problem. We're always trying to bring him down to our level, aren't we? Quick wit. Okay, here we go. Let me ask you something. See, some of you don't understand. Okay, God created me, and okay, I understand that, and I should be here to please him. I'm not sure how to do it. Uh, I'll buy that. But I'm not real sure how that's practical. Well, here's the second point. We're going to just wrap it all together on this, and we'll finish the rest of them next week. But I want to ask you something. How many, how many people in here are employed in the workplace? How many people employed in the workplace? Okay, wait, wait, wait. How many people in here find it's real important to please the boss? Huh, wait a minute, okay. <laughs> now, see, this is amazing. There's a lot of people that raise their hand, that's re they're working. There's four people who think it's important to please their boss. Now, for those of you whose hand went up the first time and didn't go up the second time, how many jobs have you had? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, they ripped me off again. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> how many of you find it's real important to please the boss? Is it important to please the boss? Yeah. Why is it important to please the boss? What? Oh, here's a guy. He knows what he's doing. Raises? Pay? Bonuses? He signs our check, which is a nice way of saying he may not. <laughs> right? He may not if we don't please him, right? All right. He sits in judgment on us. All right. We got reviews. You go before the boss. He sits there and says, hey, I don't like the way you're parting your hair. Well, then, hey, how would you like it parted? Show me. It doesn't matter. If it's a raise, I'm, I'm there. <laughs> Shave it off. I don't care. Take it. You want it? You can have it. <laughs> but if you take it, I'm going to have to ask a little more money for it. What? Because he is the boss. Because he is the boss. Okay? Number one is because he is the boss. There's a recognition of the fact of authority. So, oh, let me see. We recognize his or her authority. That's important, right? Well, here it goes. Look at this. But our God is in the heavens... Okay? He does whatever he pleases. Now, let me ask something. Where's God? He's in the heavens. Where's that? That's up here. Up. Place of authority. Where's Jesus Christ? At the right hand of God. All authority has been given to him. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. Right? He's in a position of authority. So, think this through. We please our boss, he or she, because... They're above us. Not that hard to understand. They're an authority. They're above us. So we please them. Why else do we please them? Because we recognize his or her ability, right? I know that thou can do all things and that no purpose of thine can be thwarted. <laughs> I know you're the boss. I know you can do whatever you want to do. You want to give me a raise? You can give me a raise. You want to fire me? You can fire me. No purpose of yours is going to be thwarted. I recognize your authority. And I also recognize your abilities. 
And so as a result, I'm going to be motivated to please you. Now, I, don't, I certainly don't mean to compare God to mere earthly authority, but it's amazing how many of us can grasp the concept of pleasing bosses here on earth, but yet we're somehow or another, we can't grasp the concept of why we should please God who made our boss. That's not hard. Some of you know and you're highly motivated to please your boss. <laughs> and you know who you are. And everybody in your office does too because you're the one that gets, gets hurt when he stops walking around the corner because you run into him. Right? Oh, that's not, oh, sorry. Can I pick this up? I'll pick this up. Oh, sorry. See, we got people who are highly motivated to please their boss and we got all kind of names for them and so because we have names for them then we think that I'm not going to be one of those. At least not while people are looking. <laughs> but when I go into that review, man, no one's around but he and I and baby, I'll wait, shine your shoes. Whatever you want me to do. See, we're highly motivated to please earthly bosses, and yet for some reason we don't know why we should please God who made him or her. Come on. He's the boss of boss. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And you know what the amazing thing is? You know what the truth is? You want to really do something that's outrageous? Please God first, because guess what the Bible teaches? That your boss's heart is like the channels of water in the hands of God, and he can direct it any which way he'd like. Your boss is in God's hands. If you want to please anyone, you please God first, and then if he wants to turn the heart of your boss in a direction that is going to be what you'd like to see him turn in, and in an area that you'd like to see, then God will say, hey, you know what? I can move mountains. I can move the heart of your boss. So if you please me first, you don't have to worry about what your boss will or will not do. You've got to remember, you work to please God and not man. And the amazing thing is, if you're pleasing God, then you will please your earthly boss if he is a just boss. And if he's a crook and a thief and a liar, you probably shouldn't be working there anyway because you're going to end up doing things that aren't pleasing to God anyway to compromise to please Him. So you've got a real dilemma. Are you going to please your boss who's not pleasing God? Or are you going to please God and then He'll take a boss who is pleasing God and you're going to have the greatest relationship in the world and it's going to blow your mind that that kind of thing can happen and work. You see how it works? That's exactly how it works. See, man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And one of the things that's just real frustrating to me is when I think about the sovereignty of God. Somehow we've come to the point in our society where we limit God by our actions, as if God needs us to complete his work. Let me just tell you something. God doesn't need any one of us. And it's a privilege that even involves us in his plan and his program. He doesn't need us. And as... And as, and as much as we like to say, and I know, bless our heart, our missionaries, and God love you for what you're doing, and you need to be doing what you're doing. But the moment that we say, Jesus Christ can't come back until everybody hears the gospel, then that becomes a matter of, guess what? God can't do anything without us. Sorry, that's not true. God can do whatever He wants, whenever He wants, because He's God. And if He wants to bring us along for the program, then praise the Lord and thank Him, and it's great to be a part of the program. But He doesn't need me. And as a result, He doesn't need you either. He didn't need any of us. But see, that's the problem with the sovereignty or, or the, the misunderstanding of the sovereignty of God. And that theology believes that somehow God's left many things in our, in our control and He hasn't done that. Even that He depends more on us than on His own plans and His own intervention. And that's not true either. God moves nations. God appoints boundaries. God puts in one king and takes down another. God doesn't need men to do anything. He just utilizes us to fulfill His purpose. 
and it'll never change. And it has to do with understanding His position as our Creator. He is God. And He deserves that recognition. And He has the ability to do whatever He wants. Turn to Psalm 147. Psalm 147. Psalm 147, we'll pick it up at verse 5. It says, Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. The Lord supports the afflicted. He brings down the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing with praises to our God with the lyre. Who covers the heavens with clouds, who provides rain for the earth, who makes grass to grow on the mountains. He gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens which cry. Verse 14, it says, He makes peace in your borders. He satisfies you with the finest of wheat. He sends forth His commands to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He casts forth His ice as fragments. Who can stand before His cold? He sends forth His word and He melts them. He causes His wind to blow and the waters to flow. And as I go through this, I want you just to, to underline sometime on your own just how active God is in His creation. God is actively involved in that which He's created. He hasn't stuck us down here and said, you're on your own. But He is actively involved in every area of our life. He, has the, he deserves, as we see the purpose of creation, He deserves for us to please Him in everything that we do. He wants us to, and He's actively involved in every area of our life. He has the abilities, the position that He's in. He has the ability to do whatever He wants to do whenever He wants to do it. And that's why Job was blown away when he said, Hey, you know what? I know you can do whatever you want to do. That was after four chapters in which God said, Okay, Job, you know so much. Why don't you tell me about how I created everything? Why don't you tell me about how everything works? And when you understand it, then I'll answer you. But until then, you know what? Why don't you just trust me? Why don't you just submit to my authority? Why don't you just live to please me? Isn't it amazing? It happens in the workplace. You know, we got people who work for us or that, that work for you, and they know everything. They think that they do. And somehow you got to where you are on luck or a relative or something like that, and maybe you did. But the problem is it's still a matter of respecting the authority that God has established. Whether you deserve to be there or you don't deserve to be there, that's not for the person who works for you to decide. That's up to God. He doesn't want you there, he'll take you out. He wants you there, he'll leave you in. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. And as we go through this, it's an amazing thing. I, I ran this family circle. You, know, you ever see that little cartoon family circle? This is great. This is great. I just ran into this. I think it was just this past week. I cut it out. Sometimes I, I, I see things that are interesting. I cut them out and put them in a file, and some, sooner or later they surface. But this one here, and I know you're not going to be able to see it, but I'll kind of explain it to you. There's some, some yo-yo on TV. He's got a suit on, and he looks really distinguished, and he's, he's probably preaching, one of those TV minister guys. And uh, he says, remember this, my friends, the great things never happen until some person in this world makes them happen. This young boy sitting there in front of the TV set, and he's thinking, great things never happen until some person in this world makes them happen. Ah, rally the troops. And then he's sitting, he's going, oh, yeah? And, and it shows him walking out in the snow and looking at the snow falling. And it shows him watching the sunset over a lake. And it shows him standing by a waterfall and watching the waterfall crash to the bottom. And it shows him playing with an insect and a butterfly. And it shows him standing at the beach and watching the waves crash in. And it shows him just watching the sun rise early in the morning on a camping trip. 
And you know what this little kid understands? What every one of us should. And that is, oh yeah? <laughs> Let me just tell you something. Great things have been happening before any person ever set foot on this planet. Before God created Adam and Eve. Before he put us down here. Great things happen because we got a great God. God doesn't need us to make great things happen. It's a privilege to just be part of his program. Pleasing God. Why? Why should you please God? Because it's seen in the purpose of creation. The only reason that we ever got here to begin with was so that we can serve and please God in all that we do. And the second thing we need to understand is the position of our Creator. God is above us. We can't drag Him down to our level. We need to submit to His authority. And it's one of the greatest reasons. If you want to please your boss at work, let me just challenge you. Begin to live a life pleasing to God. And all these other things shall be added unto you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity just to get back to some basics. It's no wonder we want to deny that you're the creator of this universe because there's some very serious implications that go along with understanding that fact. If you created this universe and if you created us, then you must have a plan and a purpose for us to be here. And our primary purpose is that we can seek to understand who you are and what your plan is for us. God, help us to see that there's one thing more than any that's pleasing to you, and that's we believe upon Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Nothing pleases you any more than us putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. To believe that he was God in human flesh, who lived a perfect life, who died and shed his blood for all of our sins, rose three days later to prove that he was God and that he could forgive sins. You tell us that he ascended to your right hand, and there he sits, waiting in judgment that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to Him. And you say that to please you requires a basic step of faith, believing that that's true. God, help us not to leave here today without coming to that realization, not just in a head knowledge standpoint, but to admit we're sinners before you, to invite Jesus Christ. You say, for as many as received Him, to them you gave right to become children of God, even to those who believe upon His name. Not head knowledge, but an experience of heart, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. God, may we walk away from here with a new understanding of who you are, who Jesus Christ is, and the purpose that you've put us here, and it is to please you in all that we say, do, and think. And we just thank you and praise you that the results will be ones of joy and satisfaction and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and love, self-control against all these things. There is nothing else. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.